Well, hello everyone. Uh, good to be with you today. Uh, we had a really good time away as a family. We, I had my very first snow experience. Uh, I got to share that with my kids. Uh, they're also their first time in snow. Heidi's traveled overseas and done lots of snow experiences, but we were just so lucky to be staying in series when the snow hit. And so we had a whole night of snow. Uh, there's the picture. You can see us. We built an awesome snowman. And I also had a wood-fired hot tub. So as it started to snow, got into the hot tub, made sure it was hot, and uh, sat there and just enjoyed the snow falling on me. So really, really lucky. And uh, good to be making some brilliant memories for us as a family. But the truth is, at the same time, as we were making some good family memories, uh, South Africa was making some memories of its own. And they weren't necessarily fond memories. Particularly, we think of Joburg and, and mostly KwaZulu-Natal, as they just experienced such widespread chaos and looting, the likes of which we've never seen before in our young democracy. And so, and so for that reason, we're going to depart from Mark just for this week. It's still going to be available. Some of you may be tracking through Mark and, and really enjoying that. Well, we're going to put that up on our website on Monday. We're in Mark chapter 12. Uh, Jeff's going to be preaching uh, on a passage that has to do with the afterlife. And he's going to be coaching uh, us how to handle difficult questions from people and, uh, and help to equip us with a process uh, to work through as we face challenging questions about faith, as Jesus often did. But that's Mark. What I want to do today is I want to take some time to, to pastor us as a church family. I want, to, I want to take us to God. I want to take us to God's Word. And I want to ask God to shape us, to form us, as He helps us navigate these tumultuous times. I mean, you wouldn't know this, but uh, my wife's from Durban, and so is a family. They're still there. And Heidi's mom and dad has, have had a business for 40 years. They lost everything during this looting. Their factory slash office uh, was looted, burnt to the ground. They lost all their stock, all their paperwork, everything that they had built up over 40 years gone in one night of absolute chaos. And I know many of you may have friends and family who've also experienced this devastation and this loss, but even if not directly, we've all been impacted as South Africans in the light of what's been happening. And over the last week and a bit, I've had lots of feelings. And maybe you can identify with some of these feelings. I've felt angry at times. Angry at the seemingly senseless destruction of property and criminality that sets us all back, particularly the poor. I've been angry at the level of corruption we experience in this country. It just seems so widespread, so prevalent, and almost like an unstoppable force. No one being prosecuted, no one being imprisoned for, for corruption, and it just sometimes makes me so angry. But I've also felt confusion. You know, the hashtag free Zuma, it's, it's, it's made me confused as to why anyone, you know, would want to protest against the arrest of former President Zuma. And I'm confused because I realize there's so much about South Africa's culture and political landscape that I just don't understand. I've also experienced deep fear. Is this the beginning of the end for South Africa? Is this the beginning of the burning that's going to just burn down the country around us? And then, of course, with that fear comes sometimes just despair. <laughs> when you live in a country with the greatest gap in the world, the greatest gap between the rich and the poor, between the haves and the have-nots. Surely we expect, or we should expect, things like this to happen. I mean, 
We can't go on living like this as a society. And, and then close on the heels to despair, just hopelessness. You know, can South Africa be saved? Is it too far gone? Is it, is, are things so irreversible that actually there's just no way back for us? Can the downward spiral be arrested? And then of course, there's, there's that hopelessness that says things are just so beyond my scope to actually do anything about. The problems are so big, so complex, there's just nothing I can do. And then honestly, I've, as a, as a white South Africa, experienced and felt my privilege, you know, that I can consider, you know, leaving South Africa, maybe going somewhere else or, or just exploring different options and realizing that actually not all South Africans have that opportunity and have that option available to them. And then I'm also realized that living in Cape Town it can mean that we and I are oftentimes very distanced from so much of the reality that is the rest of South Africa, that Cape Town as a city is still so segregated and often removed from what's really happening in South Africa that we get sometimes the sense of, of false security or, or false sense of not being impacted or not being involved in what's happening. And then again, I've personally experienced guilt. I know not all of you have, but but I've just realized that the ongoing legacy of apartheid, which still exists in our national narrative, has still put me in a favorable position. And, and along with that guilt of saying, man, what do, what do I need to do? What can I do? What needs to be done to right some of the wrongs of the past? I've also, I've also felt myself um, with a fresh empathy, saying, man, what would I do if I was in those shoes? What would I do if I had, was living in certain circumstances? And so all of these emotions rushing in over the last week and a bit, I don't know what you've been feeling. I don't know where you're at. I'm not putting my emotions onto you. Maybe you can identify with where I am. And, and, but one thing I'm sure is, is we've all felt something, right? And, and the truth is we've bought into a narrative of what's happening in, in this country, what's happening around us. And what I want to do today is I want to point us to God and I want to help us answer what do we do with all these emotions, with all these feelings that we're having? And what do we do when we feel like there's no true hope for South Africa? What do we do when we feel like there's no place for us in South Africa? I'm really trusting that this is a pastoral and encouraging word for you that helps you emerge from this crisis better, not bitter, faithful not hopeless, and front-footed, not withdrawn. And today's message is a little bit different from usual. Usually we like to, to anchor a, a message in a single text, but what I'm doing today is, is simply as a pastor and as a South African, reflecting on, on some of my experiences over the last while and bringing what I know to be true about God and, and pointing us to some of God's Word just to, to help us navigate this time. So here's the big idea for the message. Here's the two big ideas that, that God laid in my heart for us as a church. The first one is that we're to ask and trust God to do what only God can do. And then we're to ask God to empower you to do what he has given you to do. So there's two thoughts there. Firstly, ask God to do what only God can do. Yeah, I want to look at the macro picture. I want us to take a step back and look at what's happening in the big picture of South Africa and how does that make you feel and is there anything you can do to impact that macro picture? So firstly, to do that, we're going to learn to lament. Learn to lament. But secondly, I want us to look at the micro picture of our lives. That's 
your South Africa, the South Africa that you live in, the South Africa that you influence and impact and are a part of? Does God have something to say to, to your life, to your South Africa? Is he asking or calling or inviting you to, to have a role to play in seeing a, a better and brighter South Africa? Well, I believe he, he does. And, and as he speaks to us about our micro lives, I want us to, to fight for flourishing. So firstly, we're going to learn to lament. Then we're going to fight for flourishing. Okay, let me pray for us and then I'll, I'll carry on. Father God, we come before you this morning um, with this experience that we've had as a, as a country, as a, as a nation, with our, our emotions, God, that as individuals we've, we've seen and felt different things, we're forming different stories, um, we're identifying with certain pockets, but God, before all else, we want to come before you. We, we want your perspective, we want your view, we want your courage, we want your strength. We want your truth to be our ultimate lead and guide. And so God, this morning, we pray that you do that in us, that you establish us on your word, a firm foundation, that you, um, God, help us manage our emotions, that you help us to, to build toward you, God, to shape our lives around you and your truth. So God, glorify yourself this morning, today, God, even as you strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so firstly, let's learn to lament. So as I said, when, when we take a step back from our own lives, we look at the macro picture of South Africa, it can be so overwhelming. I mean, we've all got feelings, thoughts, and, and we're starting to live in a narrative of what this country looks like and where it's going and what our place in this country is. And that's starting to shape our hearts and minds. I mean, I hope you know that that's happening to you. I hope you know that your emotions and your thoughts and what you're speaking to yourself is radically forming you. And what makes it so difficult when we look at the story of South Africa is that it is just so complex, so big, so interlocked, so intricate. It's absolutely overwhelming. We don't know where to start. I mean, I think of hashtag free Zuma. I mean, how much of this is, is simply just a, a warning shot to government and the judicial system to warn them against future prosecutions? I mean, who is behind this and what are their motives behind this? And what are they, how much resolve do they have to see their actions through as cases and prosecutions advance? And how deep does this run through the ANC, our, our leading political party? I mean, I, I ask myself, will government hold its nerve around uh, rooting out corruption and bringing prosecution to those who have stolen so much from the people of South Africa. I mean, does government exist for the people or are the people propping up prominent members of government? And who is behind all the looting? I mean, is this political? Is this simply a result of staggering unemployment levels in South Africa, particularly amongst under 24s? I mean, I read a number the other day, 11.4 million unemployed people that represent probably around 25 to 30 million households that have no source of regular income and that have no real hope of meaningful employment or prospects. And then what about all the businesses, the jobs, the resources, the investments that have been lost over this time? I mean, can it be recovered? Will our econ economy recover? I mean, we're not only dealing with COVID and the, and the impact of COVID on our economy, now we're throwing this on top. I mean, it's just so complicated. 
I mean, look at this slide. It's quite staggering. Just represents some of the destruction. 161 malls, 11 significant warehouses, factories, liquor outlets, trucks. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And then you start to think about education in South Africa. You think about housing. You think about crime. And, and very quickly, you can start to actually, actually just want to dial out. Just take a step back. Just kind of take care of yours and, 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 and your own life and your own existence and well-being. I mean, I can carry on, but I think we can all agree that we're feeling things deeply, but it's completely overwhelming. That there's actually very little that we can do to solve these problems as individuals. It's going to take more than an individual, more than one political party to, to see South Africa navigate these tumultuous waters. So what do we do when we're feeling like that? What do we do when we look at the macro picture? Well, we can either withdraw, we can despair, you know, we can complain, we can grow bitter, we can be resentful, we can stick our heads in the sand. I mean, these are all options. These are all things that maybe you've done or considered doing. But there's something else we can do. We can also respond to God's invitation to learn to lament in the face of national crisis. It might not sound like much, but let me explain what I mean, learn to lament. What is lamenting? You know, oftentimes we think of lamenting, we think of maybe grief or regret or deep sadness. But I want to give us a richer idea of what it truly means to biblically lament because I believe this is a tool that God wants to give us, not only for this time in our history, but, but when we face future crises, personally or on a national scale. I think this is, this is a theological tool that God wants to give us that will really form and shape us as individuals and as, as a nation. So, so what is lament? Let me explain. You know, when we come into the world, we're crying. It's the first thing we do. Maybe sometimes we need a smack on the bum first, and then we're crying. But if we reflect on our lives, we kind of never stop crying. I mean, our lives are full of, of grief and brokenness. And actually, the Bible teaches us that something's wrong in the world. But actually, even death itself is the ultimate sign that things are not as they should be, that something has gone wrong in the world. And when we experience something like we have as a nation, what do we do? Well, we don't simply cry. What we need to do is learn to lament. It's something uniquely Christian, the idea of lamenting. And it's different from crying because actually lamenting is a form of prayer. It's not just expressing sorrow or venting emotion. It's actually talking to God about the pain and the sorrow and the difficulty we're experiencing. And it has a very unique purpose, lament. The purpose of lamenting is to land with greater trust in God. Lamenting, it's, it's an invitation from God for you to pour out fears, frustrations, sorrows with the purpose of renewing your confidence and hope in God. It's very important because when we look at the national story we have to renew our confidence in God. We have to renew our confidence. Listen, I remember back in 1994, as South Africans, there was a lot of fear about what would happen at national elections, our first true democratic elections. I remember people stockpiling. I remember people getting, there was fear of widespread violence and, and the church prayed. And many people prayed and asked God for a peaceful transition into a new democracy. And God answered our prayers. Yeah, sure, he didn't, you know, he didn't make everything right and everything perfect, and we still got a lot to work on. But God rescued us at a time, responded to our prayers. Do you believe God can do it again? 
Do you believe that if we humble ourselves and we bring ourselves to God and we pray and we intercede that God can do something magnificent in our nation? I believe it. I believe God can and God will. I want to use Psalm 113 to, to really help us shape lamenting. This is going to be really practical for you. This is going to help you actually put this into practice. It's going to hopefully lead you to the place where you can write your own lament, which is something I want to encourage you to do as part of processing and honoring God. So here we go. Psalm, Psalm 13 verse 1. It says, How long, O God, how long, O God, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will, foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, he has been good to me. So as we use this Psalm 113, there's four elements to a lament. The first one is to address God. This is choosing to, to, to take our emotions to God, choosing to start to talk to God about what's happening in our lives and in our nation. We're choosing to bring our emotions, our thoughts, our outlook to God. We're deciding to bring the narrative that's forming in our hearts and in our minds about South Africa and our place in South Africa to God. So, so lament starts with addressing God, bringing ourselves and our emotions to God. Then the second part of lament is to, so we're going to God, then we're bringing our complaints and our sorrows. So look at verse 2 of Psalm 13. Lament includes identifying the pains, the questions, the emotions, the narratives, the injustices, the frustrations that raging within you. You know, as we start to identify and as we start to name, it's incredible how God starts to impact and form our emotions and narratives in new ways. It's like when you bring things towards God, when you bring things into the light, so much ungodliness kind of just melts away. So much faithlessness melts away. And actually what we're able to, to talk about just in our minds or in normal conversations, when you start to bring those things to God, it's amazing how God begins to sanctify, how God begins to purify, how God begins to remind us of his word, remind us of his promises. And we begin to, to find ourselves speaking in a more faithful and faithful way. It's like we invite God to audit our inner life, to audit our emotions as we bring them to God. And then the third aspect of lament is calling to God for help. It's verse three and four. It's exercising faith in the midst of turmoil, which is what we are as Christ followers. We are a people of faith in a mighty God. We ask God, like I said, to do what only God can do. You know, when we don't do this, like I said, we're either giving into despair, you know, where we don't even bother to ask God because we don't think God can actually do anything, or we just live in complete denial. Lamenting invites us to dare to trust in God that his promises will be true and that we can ask for his help. So, so far when we're looking at lamenting, we, we make the decision to address God. Then we bring our complaints and sorrows. Then we call on him for help. And then lastly, we decide to trust him. That's verse 5 and 6. And all biblical laments actually end up in this place. Trust. 
We decide to renew our trust of God in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the injustice and the uncertainty. We don't wait for afterwards. And there can be a real internal struggle here. You know, our hearts and minds find this difficult when we're experiencing pain and confusion and difficulty. It can be hard for us to, in the moment, stop and say, hold on a minute, let me bring myself to God. Let me renew my trust and my faith in, in what I know to be true about God, despite what's happening around me. Well, I really believe as we explore these steps and as you go through these steps of lament, God is going to do a mighty work in renewing our hearts recalibrating us, renewing us, reforming us from the inside out, which is the absolute best kind of transformation. So lament is, is a prayer language where we bring ourselves to God as we are in a world marred by sin. It's how we talk to God about our emotions and our feelings and renew our hope and our trust in his sovereign care. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. It's Christian because we understand sin and its effects. We understand that there's salvation and the redemption of all things. We understand that God is a God of renewal and that God is at work in the world. Lament involves both recognizing and mourning the tears that come from sorrow, while at the same time remembering that the day is coming when God will wipe away every tear, where there will be no more mourning, as Revelation 21 teaches us. I want to read a prophetic word uh, that Andre, who leads Common Ground Weinberg, the eldership team there, sent through to us a little while ago. It, it, hopefully it's going to fill you with some courage, the prophetic word. Last week, Saturday, July the 10th at 11.30, after our two days of prayer and fasting, the Lord gave me two prophetic visions. The first one was about a beautiful sunny day, which suddenly got covered by thick clouds. I then saw numbers written in years on the clouds, 2022, 2023, 2024. Daylight looked as though it was nighttime because of the thick clouds. I then saw the last numbers also written in years, 2025. Under these numbers or year was indescribable lights. It looked so beautiful. Suddenly the vision left my sight with no meaning at this stage. I prayed about it and went to bed. An hour or two into my sleep, I received the second vision, which then gave meaning to the first vision. It says, I saw our South African airports crowded with so many people, and it was bustling. I felt so sad, and I, I questioned, why are people and families leaving the country? I heard the Lord's whisper, saying, these people are not leaving the country, they are coming back home. I heard the people screaming with joy, saying, finally, the peace we long we long awaited for is here. So good to return home. Peace is finally here. I saw people shake hands, hug, singing and rejoicing together. I lack words to explain the joy I saw on the people's faces. And some expressed their joy in singing and dancing. I felt the Lord say to me, the first vision you saw is the result of their joy. The new day for this nation is on the way. The current unrest is not what I, the Lord, have in store for this nation, South Africa. I'm changing and transforming the hearts of my people in this nation. I heard the Lord say, a time for real change is on the way. One of the signs is that traditional political parties will be willing and open to transparency and collaboration and make room for a diversified leadership. What seems impossible to people, says the Lord, is possible with him that the political leaders and different people groups will be willing to collaborate for a common goal, the nation's prosperity. The world will be surprised and they will talk about South Africa, not as they currently do, but in a good way, about its unity and peace. I heard the, 
I heard the Lord say he is working in this nation to change its narrative and give its people a new story for his glory, the story of peace and unity. I, the Lord, will push back the kingdom of darkness in your nation. Wow. What a powerful prophetic word. What an encouragement to us to lament, to bring our feelings to God, but then to renew our confidence and trust in Him. So how do we do this practically? How do you start writing your own laments? I want to really equip us here for a moment. Well, firstly, start by reading some of the Psalms. Psalms are filled with laments. Psalm 10, 13, 22, and 27. Psalm 10, 13, 22, and 77. Great Psalms for you to start reading. There's lots of others. There's psalms of personal laments, of corporate laments, of national moments for repentance when you're looking for justice. And as you look through these psalms, try and identify these four elements of the lament. I don't know if you realize, but I gave you the ABCD of lamenting. A, address God. Bring yourself to God. So that's the A, address God. B is bring your complaints and sorrow. C is call for help. Call on God for help. And then D is decide to trust God. Address God, bring your complaints and sorrow, call for help, decide to trust. Well, now you're ready to write your own laments. You know, as you read those Psalms, you're going to start to identify with what's being written. I mean, these are ordinary people writing about their own sorrows around their own difficulties, their own traumas. You're going to be able to start to feel what they're feeling. And so start bringing yourself to God as you read those Psalms. I believe with all my heart that as, as we start to do this, as we take up God's invitation to start to learn to lament, which by the way is a, is a, is a really theologically sound and strong thing to do, that God's going to do something magnificent in our nation. And so if you're in a life group this week, my encouragement to you is why not try and write your own lament? Why not bring it with you to life group? Maybe share it with your group. And off the back of that, let's take time to pray as a life group and say, God, can you do what only you can do in the macro picture of South Africa? Okay, that's learning to lament. That was the the bulk of my message. Secondly, I believe God wants us to start fighting for flourishing. We need to fight for flourishing. Maybe the call to lament has left you feeling a little bit useless, like you want to take some action, like where's the action? Well, hopefully we're going to get there right now. And as I said earlier, this begins to speak to the micro elements of our lives. This is your life. This is my life. This is our spheres. This is what I like to call your South Africa, your experience, your influence in this nature. You know, when we start to think of the word biblical flourishing, we need to think of the concept of shalom. Now, normally when you think of shalom, you think of peace. But this is one of those cases where a direct one-word English translation really fails to bring across the true meaning of a word. Shalom is so much richer. Look at this picture and you think for a moment about a piece of fabric under a magnifying glass. And as you look at that piece of fabric, you're going to see threads, hundreds, thousands of threads interweaved, woven together, pressed together. And the more evenly those, those threads are weaved and the, mo- the more they're pushed together and working together, the stronger, more useful and beautiful that fabric will be. You can see those threads over and under, over and under. Well, the Bible teaches us that this is how God created the world to be, with every element of creation woven together, working together for the flourishing of other parts of creation. So everything working for the common good. Can you see the picture 
Can you see God in creation weaving all these threads together in the tapestry of creation, creating the fabric of our society? So here's a definition of shalom. Universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which nature's needs are satisfied and natural gifts are faithfully employed and fruitfully employed, all under the arc of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are meant to be. So from this imagery of what justice is, we can easily jump to understand what injustice is. I mean, think about starting to pull out some of the threads out of the, a piece of fabric. What starts to happen? It starts to lose some of its shape, some of its strength, some of its beauty, some of its usefulness. Well, well when things start to unravel, when things stop working together for the common good and, and start, start withdrawing, that's injustice. So let's take this back to our, our lives as South Africans in this time. The truth is we have an unraveled past and we have an unraveling future. And on a macro scale, I've spoken about our need to lament because it's just too big for any one person to do something about. But when it comes to our micro personal lives, when it comes to our South Africa's, we need to start to ask God to empower us to start weaving our lives back into the fabric of society as we fight for flourishing. It means we ask God to empower us, to show us, to lead us, to guide us more than ever before, to take all the threads we have at our disposal, our, our work, our money, our time, our resources, our influence, and begin to weave them back into society and the people around us for the common good and for God's glory. We plunge our lives into the flourishing of others in our spaces. It's taking what's already at your disposal, who's already in your life, and bringing and living for everyone's benefit and for God's glory. So let me throw out an encouragement for us as a church family. We need to break out of our delusional isolation. We need to break out of our delusional isolation. Now, I realize this sounds a little bit harsh and maybe it doesn't apply to you, so just be discerning. But if there's something we've learned through COVID and something we've learned through the last few weeks is that our lives are more interconnected than maybe what we like to believe or how we actually live our lives. Yet the danger for us, particularly here in Cape Town, is that we continue to live in a state of delusional isolation as if somehow our lives don't make a difference or our lives don't matter or our lives are not impacted by what's happening in South Africa. The truth is, if we don't act as individual and as communities, we're going to fall as a nation, you included. I was praying on Monday night at our corporate prayer meeting. You're welcome to join us anytime. We pray 6.45 to 7.15 in the evening, just for half an hour on Zoom. Uh, and I was praying and I had this picture that sometimes, you know, we think of inter, being interconnected and interdependent as a negative thing. I mean, you know that saying, if Joburg sneezes, the rest of South Africa gets a cold. Kind of a negative thing. But I felt God reminding me, well, if the kingdom of God starts fighting for flourishing, the rest of South Africa is going to praise God. As we mobilize our lives in our South Africans and as every Christ follower and every person who's named in the kingdom of God starts to starts to. Uh, weave their lives back into the fabric of society for the flourishing of the people around them. South Africa is going to see and glorify God. That's our impact. So fight for flourishing in your South Africa. 
we speak about this a lot as a church, and I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but I do want to throw out just three ways that I hopefully will be kind of an example for us and an encouragement for us to start to think about how we can weave our lives back into the people and the places around us. I mean, we speak about this a lot as a church. Some of you may think, might think not enough. Others think too much. But here we go anyway. I'm not trying to be exhaustive, remember. But I want to encourage you as you walk with God, as you live out your faith, as you pray, as, you, as God leads you through his spirits, that you would find a fresh purpose and an and intentionality to do and impact and bring justice and fight for flourishing in your life. So here we go, three ideas. The one is household employees. I think it's common in South Africa, and I'm thinking about particularly household employees. I mean, there sure is application for, for employees if you're running a business, but I'm, I'm focused here on just our household employees. And some ideas for us is, are you building genuine friendships and really getting to know the people that work for you in your house or in your garden or take care of your kids? Are you getting to know them? Are you growing in your understanding of their life, of their past, of their fears, their circumstances, their families? I mean, I was totally unaware last week about the taxi violence till my, my nanny, the person who takes care of my kids, messaged me and said her cousin has just been killed Random, randomly, the taxi that he was in was just fired upon and he was killed just like that. As we began to chat and understand what's happening, a fresh compassion came over me and, and Heidi and I sat down and we said, what can we do to alleviate some of the fears, alleviate the pressure? And we, we just told her to stay at home, told her we'll take care of her. And, and it, it's our way of saying, man, we understand your fears. If I was in fear of my life, just getting to work, I would love my employee to just say, you know what, we understand just take it easy. I think of COVID concerns. I think of the people who work for us and their educational needs. The, you know, things like life pol policies. I mean, how can we invest in the next generation who don't necessarily have all the opportunities and resources that many of us do? I'm not saying we all have the means and the, and the margin to do this, but we have to ask ourselves, what can we do in our South Africa to weave our lives back in for the flourishing of all? to start to, to, to rectify some of the unraveling of the past. And then that's household employees. What about friendships? You know, coming alongside friends and family. Life's busy. I know things are hectic. But when we, when we have friends or family members that experience difficulties or trials, let's move toward them in great compassion. Let's carve out the time. Let's go sit with them. Let's go pray with them. Let's go share with them. Let's go listen with them. What about the idea of growing some of your friendship variety and diversity? And then influencing your employee towards nation building. Some of us, many of us can do. Maybe you run a business yourself. I mean, Heidi sent me that article of what Pick and Pay did over the weekend. A 3.5 kilometer, I mean, couple of hundred trucks as they just ship food food into KZN. Now they packed the trucks overnight. They packed the stocks overnight with the help of the communities. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of how someone took the initiative to mobilize a business. And yeah, that's a significant business to make a real impact. Well, you can do something similar in your sphere. Okay, let me wrap it up there. My prayer has been that this message really helps you in some ways to navigate the season. And I felt God encouraged me just in those two simple ways. To one is to ask God to do what only he can do. And we do that by learning to lament, renewing our trust in God, bringing things to him. And then on the other hand, asking God 
to empower us to do what he's given us to do. And we do that by fighting for flourishing in our South Africa. We pray for us. Well, Father God, we pray that, that you take these words, these truths, and you, and you just imprint them on our hearts. God, we pray that you give us uh, the follow-through to, to learn to lament as a people, to build this discipline, God, to, to bring our, ourselves and our nation before you, God. And, and things are too big for us, but they're not too big for you. And so, God, we come to you with confidence and hope, and that, God, you awaken your church as that sleeping giant that can have a huge impact on this nation as every single one of us lives for your glory right where we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.